Warning, Pro-Tri News is a podcast with different opinions, knowledge and possibly fake news about triathlon racing. This is not for the faint of heart. If you get offended or hurt by what is said, please stop listening and go listen to some uplifting meditation music or just go work out, then try again. Hello, welcome back to another episode of Pro-Tri News. I'm your host, Kyle Glass. We had an exciting weekend of racing and we're going to go through all of that for you. Um, joined by four of my favorite co-hosts today, Talbot, you have a Lionel Sanders, uh, water bottle in the shot. You've been training hard or are you hardly training? Uh, this is just a free water bottle. So that's why I'm drinking out of it. It has nothing to do with that, but it was an insane weekend of racing. In fact, right now I have on the screen quarter lane is still going on and I am watching that unfold, but yeah, I'm, I'm stoked for today's episode. This is, uh, I would say one of the best performances of triathlon we've ever seen by Magnus Ditlev. So let's dive into it. And, and Daniel Arrive. And Daniel. Uh, I mean, much better than Magnus. Much better than Magnus. Right, yeah, cool. Exactly. Um, how the fuck have you got any energy to be watching triathlon still? And Cordelaine of all things. I, I was, I've been grumpy for about an hour and a half and Kat's like, what, what's wrong with you? I was like, I've got to go on a podcast and talk about triathlon again. I'm fucking sick of triathlon this weekend. <laughs> anyway, sorry. Mark, Mark, tell us about your weekend. I'm sick of triathlon. You spent a lot of time on the bike. Let's talk about cycling. Uh, With triathletes. Um, (laughs) (laughs) uh, Yeah. uh, uh, Yeah, I got Canyon sent me a new bike, which was rather nice of them. A bit of a surprise. Um, Super sweet aero road. I feel like Vanderpool now. It's so good, I think he might just be an average rider and the bike is just that good. Um, Though not for me. Uh, Yeah, I went for four hours yesterday with Kat, uh, a few others. Uh, Alex Yi, who I've only really met in passing before, and he is as nice as everyone in the world of triathlon will tell you he is. He is offensively nice. And then did a couple of hours today. So, yeah, nice, mate. Thanks. Good weekend. Uh, Chelsea, you had some time in California at Western States 100? Yes, at Western States, still here in the Heather Jackson compound house. Really disappointing for her. I was supposed to start running with her at 62 miles, but she took a pretty bad fall in the 40s or 50s. Uh, I think the hamstring might be ripped, but she ended up having to walk out of these canyons about eight miles. And I kind of got to be a part of the the rescue extraction mission going in there to find her. And it was it was one of the most epic days I've had in a really long time. I mean, even though it wasn't really the ending she wanted, I was I kind of finished yesterday thinking that was the most inspiring sporting event I have ever been around. It was just I can't even put it into words how crazy this thing was. So, yes, hanging around uh, the Tahoe area still. But I, here like, for triathlon. I tuned into their YouTube stream, and it was like some of the drone shots and stuff looked absolutely insane. Yeah, I think the other thing I wanted to say was, I know we don't want to talk about this for too long, but this thing takes place in some of the most remote wilderness of California, and... It's just these areas are completely inaccessible. So to kind of convey to you guys how hard it was just for her to get out of the wilderness. And there's these aid station volunteers deep in these canyons that require like 5K of straight down rock face descent just to get in here. And I was chatting with this one uh, aid station worker yesterday who he's been at this race every single year since 1987. And he actually had to cut Heather's number uh, her wristband off yesterday when she committed to withdrawing and he I think broke into tears so these people are just like in this race and it is like 
the hardest people and just kind of this race that started out as a horseback race and has now progressed to humans, but is really kind of staying in the roots of this just raw event. Anyways. It makes you realize how easily, uh, well, how easy it is to go wrong in nature. Like when you see people having to get rescued and you're like, how did you manage that? But when yeah. you're in such wilderness like that, incredible. Yeah. So and I really Chelsea, hope to come were back. You, were you inspired by Tom Evans or Courtney Dewalter or Heather Jackson? All three. Literally three insane humans. First, anyone that doesn't know, the women's winner, Courtney Dewalter, broke the course record yesterday by 77 minutes. 77 minutes. Oh. So just like mind-blowing. Um she finished in 15 something hours and Tom Evans won the men's race. He's actually married to a triathlete that we're going to talk about today. Maybe um, another really incredible, just, you know, athlete that I can't even yeah put words behind of what he can, he can do. So now that everyone's inspired and has signed up for their next trail run, Pat. Well, you know, I did my own, athletic event this weekend was i did the colorado state criterium championships on saturday and talbot goes what, what are you a cat three cat four and i said talbot i'm not relinquishing my category one license uh okay now you uh, didn't race cat one come on so um you know <laughs> i I, fin- I finished on the i finished with the lead group and you know oh. this this old dog still has a few tricks so um yeah, super proud oh. of myself. It was really fun and and uh always love a great local bike race. So I think uh you know, Mark, did you have a question? Yeah, honestly though, all that's done is affirm to me what I've always thought about US criterion racing, that the standard is absolute <laughs> dog shit. That's Look, all <laughs> the reality the reality is is, is uh you know, Gwen did the race before me and, and she go I go, Hey, what's the what's the course like out there? How is it? And she goes Honestly, I think it's going to be great for you because it just feels like headwind everywhere. So you should be oh, able yeah. to draft the entire time. And so that and you're was a big a, boy. And I'm a big like boy. A big unit. Yeah. Yes, yes, like yes. Headwind in you, hand in hand. Yes. So it was that was great. Um, you know, look, I think one thing that I did get done this week was I opened up a waterfall bank checking account. So Lemieux Group LLC is now uh, officially, we do all of our banking with Waterfall Bank. So uh, I want to talk about how easy that process was and the reason why I did it. Uh, I'm not afraid to say that my first account is was with uh, JP Morgan Chase. And you would think being one of the big four, they should be able to do wire transfers all over the world. No questions asked, no problem. Well, I tried to send money to one of my amazing clients in the UK and the bank declined the wire transfer because the bank that my client was using in the UK was quote unquote too small. And I said, this is ridiculous. You guys are the largest bank in the world. So who do I call? I call my friend Ben Atkins at Waterfall Bank. And I said, Ben, you got a solution for me. Can we wire money to the UK? He said, absolutely. So uh, thrilled to have opened a bank with them. I had a concierge service from Jennifer and, and the whole experience has been delightful so far. So if you're looking, if you're trying to wire money around the world and you're having issues with your I think Pat, go ahead. 
No, I think we just cut out. We lost the end of the audio of Pat's, um, the very last bit of Pat's run there. His audio sort of seemed to have dropped out, maybe self-muted. Before people think, though, because clearly he's talking about sending money to me and Kat, A, the delay because of JP Morgan has meant I've been eating baked beans for a month. But B, it is a Monzo bank account with 5.8 million users. So not that small. We're not dodgy banking, holding money under the bed case. Like, come on. Should we get into the show then? So your bank account's not like in the Caribbean islands or something like that. Uh, we don't make enough money for that, mate. Don't, no, don't be silly. We're not, not Jan Fredino over here. Um, Let's dive into the show. We do the first week, first race that happened this weekend, WTCS Montreal uh, on the women's side, Beth Potter, who for some reason, I, I must've missed her on the start list. I didn't realize she was racing and she goes off and, wins the race i think i mislooked at the uh the start list i literally said on the show that she was gonna win yeah I, Kyle's uh, making an excuse for not picking her i guess here I know. oh I know. okay that's exactly okay. what's happening chelsea you want to give us the rundown of the race more deep yeah rundown? our sprint world Se- yeah sprint world series in montreal a little bit of adverse weather conditions, which seems to be the case for nearly every race now that they have rain. Uh, but we saw a fairly normally big size group out of the water. And then our time trial fourth place U.S. bike rider, Taylor Nib, also a triathlete still, did a little breakaway, took Summer Rappaport with her. Uh, I don't think Summer looked at anything besides Taylor's back for the remaining, I don't know, 17 16 Ks or so. Um, They got off with not too much of a lead. I kind of thought Nib could put a bit more into them, but they were caught by some runners pretty quickly. And Beth Potter, like Kyle mentioned, did win the race. Very impressive run. Second place was Leonie Perriot, our only French athlete to make the trip to Montreal. And third was Summer Rappaport, who hung on for her first podium of the season. After a impressive ride, I was really impressed with how she rode. We give her, everyone gives her a lot of crap for how she rides a bike, but she watched this break. It seems like some of the Brits were taking a little nap when Nib attacked, but yeah. Thoughts? Mark, you muted. A couple of the Brits took a bit of a nap on the run as well. It's, I was, were you surprised that Sophie Coldwell and especially Georgia Taylor Brown just, just couldn't? get their run legs going like i know this they were still top 10 or whatever maybe was it 11th for coldwell but they just you expect top threes fours minimum for those two right yeah for sure i think i mean georgia did win in cagliari a few weeks ago but everything else of her season has been kind of underwhelming so i'm not quite sure what's going on with her she was yeah just didn't look like her usual self on the run um and sophie i think not as underperforming as maybe I kind of thought was the case for Georgia, but the race tech, I guess the, the way the race went didn't exactly favor her strengths. Someone I didn't mention before that I was impressed with was Katie Zafirez, who got a start into the race, I think at briefing, which was Thursday evening. So she flew there without any idea of whether or not she'd get a start, ended up getting a start and finished fifth. So was pretty good position coming out of the water and uh she ran quite well so that was definitely encouraging to see kind of her coming back to her uh pre-pregnancy form so 
in my opinion, I would say that probably gives USAT a reason to at least give her a start in the test event, which is, I would say, her number one goal right now for the year. Um, so, yeah. And I don't think anyone is surprised that Beth Potter won because I picked her. <laughs> the Oracle. Talbot picked her. The men's race was a bit more... Um, the, I mean, the results were, were what they were, but from from out the swim, we saw Christian Blumenfeldt lose, what, 38 seconds on the group? Um, and Matt Hauser won the race, clearly, as we all expected. But did anyone think we would see uh, real huge splits in a swim race, like over that distance? I didn't. I didn't either. I think we were missing some of the top swimmers, too. There were zero French athletes Hayden Wild, Alex, you were all missing. So I would say five out of your kind of top 10 people weren't even there. Um, and that was yeah. why I selected Hauser. But yeah, for Christian to lose that time. Also, it was a wetsuit swim. Yeah, um, which, which normally helps. Tends right, to, to make keep... those swims stay together. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And then the results to summarize, though, yeah. um, Messias from Brazil but, uh, came second and Yellow Gains third. What do you guys think happened with, uh, I mean, Gustav came off the bike with them. It just wasn't able to stay with them on the run. Obviously, we don't need to talk about the Norwegians, but um, it's probably the first time that we've seen Gustav even come off the bike remotely close to the front. I almost think we just owe it to our listeners to stop talking about Gustav in, like, we've done it enough times in the short course races. It's just not, he's just not there, right? It's just not a thing. Yeah. I think predictably that Matt Hauser looked great. He sort of kicked with maybe 800 meters to go, okay to go, and he was he was just so strong. Um, I, I mean, everyone's shooting a favorite. Messiahs from Brazil kind of held the gap in between, and then Yellow Geens sort of won a semi-sprint finish between him, Helvig, and Christian Blumenfeld, who just looked like he was suffering hard on the run. Yeah. Do we think that this um, field being a little bit weaker, do you th- does that play into it being a sprint sprint race or do sprint races matter in world triathlon with the focus being on the Olympic distance? Well, I, I think, think they matter. Sorry folks at home. We've got a slight delay. Chelsea's just a tiny bit delayed, I think um, because she's obviously in the middle of nowhere and her <laughs> Wi-Fi is there, but we're going to defer to Chelsea on this because she is the expert of this part of the show. Sorry, Charles, go on. Yeah, sorry, I'm on Pacific time, which is an hour behind. So it's actually impressive that I'm only a second delayed here. But um, I think, I mean, the sprint racing is really significant still. I'd say over, I mean, over half the races are sprints. These athletes are still focusing on the relays. Yes, it's not identical to the race that is, I don't know, competed in the Olympics. But I mean, Matt Hauser's podiumed in the Olympic distance. And I think we all picked him. Well, most of us picked him to win the race yesterday. So yeah, I think this was kind of a little bit of an odd race. I don't think we need to talk about this one for too much longer. Um, I think athletes are kind of in bigger training blocks with the focus being kind of August, September. It wasn't an easy travel for a lot of Europeans to get to Canada. Uh, we can mention they were all also preparing for the first relay, which was supposed to be today. Air quality in Montreal is like 300. So they decided to cancel the race because that is a very hazardous uh breathing situation for everyone even to just be standing outside much less beating your heart for 190 beats per minute but yeah i don't know if we answered that question but good racing but we'll be back to actually commentate hopefully look more at pre-olympic stuff in a few more weeks 
And speaking of air quality, right down the road from that, about an hour and a half drive, is Ironman 70.3 Montreblanc, which was also canceled. So you didn't see the likes of uh, Jackson Laundry, Cody Bills, and Lionel Sanders racing. Another race this last weekend was 70.3 Elsinore, Olivia Mitchell's first win. And then another big race of the weekend, Ironman Nice. Mark, who won that one? how I was watching me eat an apple, which cat I sat down with a uh, Snickers in hand and a old fashioned and the cat bought me over an apple in some like desperate, like bid for balance in my diet. Um, <laughs> it was one by Clement Mignon who, uh, just sort of hung there or thereabouts for the whole race. Um, and he got the job done across the line for the win. Uh, there were three slots in this race total. Um, but Clement Mignon, Oh, it's taking, took the win. Um, Camworth led out early on the bike. I was surprised to see him drop uh, Christian Hogan out, which I, again, though, I was almost more surprised that Christian Hogan out and um, Camworth were, were racing full stop. Uh, I don't, do we still know why? Do, I mean, any, any idea, Pat, why they would be racing there other than pre- practicing the course, maybe? Yeah. That's what I was, I was just going to, that was going to, your, your answer and your, Prompting my question, uh, is this course the identical course that they will be racing on in September? We don't, we don't have clarification on that. It looks like so the only, the, my only thought would be, is that, is this an opportunity for rehearsal for the big show in September? I, I think I, I believe parts of it are, I'm not sure the entire course is the same. Um, I think the runs much the same. And I think the city is much the same. So there's, there's certainly elements of it you can take away. And also you make the trip there. So you could recce the full course. If there are changes, the full results were Clement Minion for the win. Bart Earnouts. So we actually tipped on the show last week when he gets it right. He's really, really fucking good as Bart Earnouts, but he lost like four minutes or five minutes on the swim as he normally does. Um, he rode pretty well, and then he ran a uh, 245.19. Clement Minion ran a 245.03. Camworth actually finished fourth just off the podium with a with a three-hour run. But an amazing swim again from Camworth. Five, 50 minutes dead, sort of right in that top group. Like, Camworth's a swimmer. How, when did that happen? I, I, watched, I watched a quick interview with Camworth after the race. He basically said that... Uh, he hates doing long training days by himself, so it's always a lot easier when they're catered uh, and people are handing you nutrition. So he needed another long training day. He wasn't racing this last weekend. And just like what Pat said, the course is very similar, not the exact course, but it's very similar. So he saw it as a good test opportunity to go out there, find a good Airbnb that they can take the family to, come World Championships. He could get a feel for the town, feel, find the restaurants he wants to use, and just get in a good solid training day, plus not a long travel for him over there. So. I do love that catered training day. It's great. Catered training day. Why not? The other big one that happened this weekend, Challenge Roth. Shit, was that this weekend? Yeah. Did you know oh, that? It's not popped up on my socials, weirdly. The craziest thing I thought was you came out of the water and you have Magnus Ditlev in that lead group coming out of the water. There was some crazy swimming all around. You- Daniela Rife got out on the feet of Fenella Language as well. Like... There's something about this race. It's just something about this race. I've heard in the past, Mark, when they hit the turnaround in the canal, do they open up the gates so they can swim faster? Is that true, or was that just one year? I'm being serious. I I don't know if that's true. If that's true, that's completely mental. And I mean, it's definitely a 100-meter short swim, and the bike's definitely 2K short, and the run's definitely 500-meter short. And like comparing times are ridiculous. But what we can definitely say is in the men's race and the women's race, they were the two greatest 
iron distance there or thereabouts performances we've ever seen. Yeah, do you guys do you guys mind if I just share a little bit about my conversation with with Magnus post race in in his recap? Yeah, do you know him pretty well? I, I have access to him. I'm I'm lucky enough to. So uh, you know, for with respect to the pod, I was able to to get a couple little sound bites from him. Uh, you know, I think Magnus spoke about it. The big difference between 2023 and when he won in 2022 was it started off with a wetsuit swim in 23 so that immediately you know you're four or five minutes ahead right there uh he's he noted you know the reality was is he thought with the changes that the, that the race had made in um not having as many motorbikes on the course he's like look you know initially i thought that that was going to make the race much slower on the bike he goes he goes however I actually just think because we could see more open road, it just allowed us to go even faster this year. And he goes, then on the run, he goes, you know, I was on pace for 235 and I completely blew and I ran, you know, 237 because uh, my last 4K were, were quite bad. And and my question was to him, I said, look, I said, have you checked the bar- the bar- barometric pressure? Because I said, surely that had to be low today and he goes ah you know i haven't checked it but he goes i think you'd be correct like that that's something was something was right because he goes it was hot but he goes from the beginning on the bike he goes you could tell it was just insanely fast all day long so what pat's alluding to and we spoke to just to listeners don't know barometric pressure is basically air pressure and you essentially want low barometric pressure for high speeds it's partly why they do the hour record altitude when they can and testers that want to break that national records around the world or even strong other comms like will actually test the air pressure because at those speeds it makes a really significant difference that's yeah. Kind of- yeah and so i think you know ultimately where this ended up was his his he beat the record time at roth by 10 minutes roughly and you know if you would have asked magnus and i while we were you know sorting out his agreement for roth last year we would have thought that the that time was untouchable and you know i don't uh, have an understanding of where it goes from here but obviously he was on a really special day and you know i think hopefully we can dive into now the actual race but it was it was good to connect with magnus just directly and, and get his take on the race uh, the race was just like truly exceptional from the start to give some perspective like patrick langer went 15 minutes faster than he did last year to take second which was a really good race and he still got smoked really mad so the overall time for magnus ditlev was 724 he rode a 357 45 bike split a 46 47 swim that's crazy fast it's a good swim but i mean patrick langer swimming 46 42 ben canoe i mean they are fast time so the times are kind of like, give or take right but magnus Stetler's right at the front of the race from the start with the likes of sam laidlow and they just go up the road together like i mean drilling it and they're just taking minute every 10k minute every 10k patrick langer rode brilliantly and he got his act together daniel backgard was in the middle ground hanging out there and then he had a mechanical and he dropped like 10 minutes in one go yet he got his head back in the game and got racing kudos to him patrick langer and ben canute worked well together we heard some nonsense from Jim Vance on the coverage about well, Patrick looks really close there. He, he didn't. He actually rode really well. Um, ben Canute, brilliant race as well. And then it came down to a run battle between Magnus Ditlev and at the time Sam Laidlow. Sam Laidlow uh, imploded. And Jan on the commentary, I don't know if you heard, Jan compared Sam Laidlow to a classic French cyclist where they go full gas and then just blow up. I think he was probably talking about Pino, but I thought that was a savaging. Go on, Pat. Yeah, I'll just share that uh, 
with respect to that that blow up from Sam Laidlow, you know, Magnus did say he goes, "We," I said, "How how the run start out?" And he goes, "Look, Sam pushed the pushed the run big time. We dropped a bunch of uh, K's that were sub three forty, and he goes, I started to get a little bit worried. And all of a sudden, at ten kilometers, it went from lights on to lights off. And then he's like, "Okay, well now I got to do the rest of this myself." But uh, he did he did have Magnus. I wouldn't say under pressure, but, you know, trying to really think about like, wow, are we going to sustain this the whole, the whole day? Uh, the next thing I would like to recognize is it, it, this is Ben Canute's second iron distance race. It sure seems like he's pretty good at this distance, which I, I'm going to, you know, eat a little crow here. I thought this distance would be really terrible for him and, and he seems to be quite good at it. So I think we'll continue to see him at, at more and more of these, uh, I mean, it's a full distance. Yeah, he's super aero. I imagine his energy conservation is pretty good on the bike. And his run form is really good, which I think, like, you can't look at good run form, of course, but it seems to be. So I think he's just probably actually really quite efficient, which is cool. I mean, he ran a 237 to take third place. So super impressive all round. Like, back in the day, like, Daniel Backard ran 236 and came fourth. Four years ago, that wins you every race you turn up to like minimum like easy so it was it was crazy fast all round um laid low is i think the pressure's mounting on laid low for a result right uh, personally last there. about the men's race uh could you imagine if someone told you two years ago three years ago that joe skipper would go 744 at challenge roth and get beat by 20 minutes it's pretty wild Absolutely. pretty wild Let's dive into the women's race. Danielle Arif, I mean, you could nearly say wire to wire, which is like pretty insane. She did make the front slim pack, just like Magnus. There was a lot of confusion. They had to clarify the slim caps up at the front. We were all shocked, and we were like, wow. And she went to work right away. There was, I think there was some confusion at the start of the bike that uh, all of the all of the motorbike drivers thought that Finella was still leading because it took about 30 minutes for them to finally get a, a moto camera on Daniela. But after that, I mean, ended up biking 422, I believe. I uh, mean, she's like the top, if she's like a top 10 cyclist in the world with that. Uh, if you take Daniela's ride on face value, you almost have to say that every other female triathlete in the world, in the history of the sport is bad at cycling. I it's so much better. Like people and how like commentators, like unbelievable, inhuman. It, it's just, it, it's so good. It's crazy. I mean, it's the magic touch must be Brett. I mean, she left Brett. She fell apart. She outrode Lisa Norton by 12 minutes. Lisa Norton is time trial champion of, Sweden, I believe four times, five times. Yeah, what I will say about Lisa Norden is she lost nearly all of that time in the first 100k. In like the last 80k, if you look, she only lost like a minute and a half. So Daniela just went out really hard and Lisa Norden paced into it. The second half, actually, Lisa Norden sort of stemmed the flow of time. But by that point, it's just job done. And she had like 18 minutes off the bike or something to to uh, Anne Hauk, who we all thought was going to win this race. Like, we all thought was going to comfortably win this race. And after after that, it was just, it was a procession, really, for the first place. She won by miles with an 808-21, fastest female time in history, irrespective of the distances. They could have been fucking 10K long or 10K short. She'd have still been the fastest ever. 
Uh, second place, Anne Howe, 2.821.09. Incredibly fast as well. And then Laura Phillip, 8.25. Now, Laura Phillip, Anne Howe, and Chelsea Sodaro went back and forward a bit. Uh, Chelsea Sodaro was in second until about 12k to go. Got overtaken twice uh, and then DNF'd. I believe she DNF'd after a conversation with her coach who was racing who ran past her for a quick chat. And then she DNF'd, which is unfortunate. I want to just spend a little bit of time to for the listeners to understand how fast uh, both Magnus and Daniela Reef rode today. You know, they ultimately they're doing uh, over a hundred miles. In Magnus did it in under four hours. Daniela did it in just over four hours. Go next time you're riding your bike, go outside, ride it. Well, for our American listeners, let's just make it very simple: twenty five miles an hour and see how long you can average that speed. Uh, most people won't be able to make it more than 10 minutes, but to to really comprehend how fast uh, this these fields are moving, you know, that's the test you've got to go do at home. And to be fair as well, like Daniela rode slightly faster than that. That's Daniela. Like the men are riding like 28 mile an hour for four hours. Madness. Anyway, that's that. I thought Anne Haug was great, ran really well just not enough real estate laura phillip uh, right that's actually probably laura phillip's best result like she's never podiumed a championship level race which we can probably call off which is mad yeah i would agree 100 percent. we just expect her to win stuff right yeah i guess her third place maybe at 2020 challenge day clash daytona pto yeah i think this is more impressive kind of swing that but yeah i mean this is definitely probably the most impressive she's been. Um, Thoughts on Sodaro? Where does her year take her now? I, I, I think, I, let me go. I think with respect to, we're looking at Chelsea Sodaro and Sam Laidlow. Uh, I think that there's some big questions that need to be answered here. And it's, it is, you know, what do you do? How do you get out of it? And it's, uh, you know, my, my advice, my, I would encourage them to think of this like a, like a boxer. And sometimes you need some stepping stones. Find find a race that you can go build a little confidence for them, right? Doesn't have to be the most competitive. Doesn't have to be, you know, the hardest race in the world. But I think they're at a point where they need to go and, and find a couple stepping stones to to get their groove back. Uh, Pat, just to correct you real quick, I did the math. Uh, with Magnus's time, he actually rode... 28.2 miles an hour so not 25 but sure i, 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 would, I, I said I would, 28 <laughs> off the top of my oh. head you don't need Sorry. to calculate huh? i i was rounding i was rounding down because he was i was doing 160k in four hours and so yeah it's when you add on when you tack on the extra 20k the speeds really go up so yes most people cannot ride 28 miles an hour for more than a couple minutes and to give you even more context i did the state criterium championships yesterday we did not average that speed for one hour and so that's in a pack of 50 of you in a pack of 50 in, in the category one twos. I mean, so that's, that's the reality of what these people are doing. Madness. Before we move on from Roth, let's give Roth a grade because that was probably the best. We've talked about this on group text. That was probably the best we've seen of moto drivers riding. There was obviously a couple of hiccups that we saw on the live stream, but definitely the best. Agree. And the fairest. 
I, I, unless something weird happened that we just didn't see, it, it just the course looked clean. It looked better. It looked visually better as well. Yeah, I'll just I'm going to echo what what I talked about earlier from speaking with Magnus Ditlev was that he and he thought the race was actually faster because he goes you could just see the open road. It felt like it was you had a better visual, uh, and he goes I I do think it was very fair. So that was from firsthand experience from the front of the race. So uh, yeah, I think that challenge roth let's give them some kudos and and they they really raised the bar for for how these races should be conducted however i'm gonna knock the bar down a little bit i i was had my 3 a.m i had my phone pulled up and then i had the live stream pulled up on youtube and then i'd scroll back and go to safari to go to the tracker so that i could see because they didn't have a ticker on the on the live youtube that was the only thing that... Agree. They needed a tick. They needed a ticker on the screen. And their tracking app was a bit crap. That's that's all. That's the only thing. Their commentary, Jan Fredino, what isn't that bloke good at? It's fucking annoying. Yeah, I know. It, he's good crazy. at that as well. And, it, and the, my big thing with Jan on that is his silence spoke volume. When they had a guest on or someone else was just talking bollocks and Jan went silent and wouldn't respond, that just spoke volumes. It was like... Jan's not acknowledging this. We all know you're talking nonsense. Let's move on. I thought he was brilliant today, personally. It's crazy. Yeah. Well, shout out to Felix and his crew. They put on a they put on a fantastic event, and yeah, hats off and to him. Before we move on from Roth and uh, Montreal, got to give a shout out to Ben Deal, fellow pro athlete, and nearly predicted both podiums for uh, the men's and women race absolutely destroyed the fantasy and not only that but your very own commentator and helen jenkins is she a previous world champion two time two time per nearly uh she won the fantasy for the montreal race so love that she plays i mean it's crazy i guess the pros actually know what they're talking about weird that yeah, not nah, we basically suck because, or I basically suck. I don't, well, know did, you... I don't think any of us picked Daniela Rife again, did they? Yeah, again. What is wrong with us? Just uh, I think I, I did, but I can't. I had her third. I had her in my top five. I did not have Chelsea in my top five, and people were like, "Are you crazy?" I guess I'm crazy. Right, let's go. Um, Iron Man d'Alene is basically going on right now. Um, we got. 10 miles left of the run. Chris Leiferman's currently leading over by three minutes to Matthew Marquois, who like literally this kid is going to school to be a doctor and is racing at the top, the top, top, top level of triathlon. I mean, granted it's North America, Mark. I understand, but no, 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 no. His Texas performance was the real deal. He's awesome. I'm more impressed with Chris Leiferman coming back from, Pretty, you know, long hospitalization, real crippling injuries, an amazing race at Boulder, and then just dominating here. Chris isn't and done. He, he still has to get surgery. He still has to get yeah. surgery. He's he is a machine. I keep saying this. He's the best American athlete. Yeah, the best, the best thing ever. I saw Chris, Chris and Kona the night after the race, and he were going from Huggos to another bar, and he's running up Alihi Drive up the hill to run back to their PB. So he was like, I'm done. I don't want to party anymore. <laughs> uh, yeah. It, if you don't know, Chris Leifman parties harder than, I mean, almost anyone I've ever met, let alone triathletes. 
He led me astray in Kona. I got in trouble for it. Just going to leave it at <laughs> what, that. One more funny comment on Chris. Chris, last year when we were chatting with him ahead of St. George, didn't even know that Paula and Eric had a YouTube channel. And he goes, oh, I, heard, I know Lionel has one because I think I've heard like people talk about it at press conferences. The guy does not care in any way, shape, or form about triathlon or social media. He does it because he enjoys it and he's good at it. In his spare time, he builds houses for those in need. Like he builds cost-effective houses on a charity project. Like awesome bloke. Pat, what's going on? Yeah, look, so I think I'm just watching the tracker. They are at mile 16.3 for the men. Uh, Chris Lieferman has a three-minute and 30-second lead. He is running slower than Matthew Marquardt and so I think it's it's he's in the safe zone right now but if this if if he slows down anymore he's running 18 seconds per mile slower than than Matthew so it's it's not a given this race is not over by any stretch of the imagination uh 10 miles to go in an Ironman and you've got Chris Lieferman with a three minute and 40 second lead so an, another little funny note on this. Uh, if you look at Matthew's times and all of his Ironmans, he always runs the second half faster. He goes out super conservative and slow and then really picks it up. So this, we might have to record a little thing when this podcast is over, Kyle, just to highlight on the winners of this. But also funny note about Matthew Marquardt raced here before and uh, Big Mets got fourth in the pro field last year. But... Matthew Marquot won the age group race and actually beat Big Mets. And so Matthew Marquot got fourth pushes on the overall standings. Big Mets down to fifth place last year. Pretty wild. Uh, look, I think the big news, can we talk about the big news and, and what happened to Sam Long today? And, and maybe just a little bit on that. I've got some notes. Uh, so it, Talbot, you heard from Sam that he triple flatted. Was that, was that the amount of flats? We have three. Flatted once the sealant didn't seal too well, so that he pulled over. They aired it up, flatted again, or he told the maintenance guy he was like, "Can you switch my tire?" And he's like, "We don't have one," or it's running low, leaking all the way low again. And he's like, "We don't have one. We don't have rim brake." And he said, "Okay, can we put a tube in it?" So they pull over on the side of the road. He puts a tube inside of his tubeless tires, um, and then he gets going again. Within a couple miles, it loses all the pressure again. And then, uh, so they changed it again. And then he just said, like, do you, do you not have a disc brake tire or wheel? And they only have rim brake. In joke. So, I don't know. Sorry, let me let me clarify, though, here and how, how it's done now. In, so in professional bike racing, it always used to be neutral wheel service uh, would carry back in the days of rim brake, they'd carry enough wheels to do the neutral service. And, and the reality was is that at the time, the tolerances were such that you could get, if you had a Shimano 10 speed wheel, you could get a Shimano 10 speed wheel and it was going to work. Uh, with the advent of disc brakes, this has really changed. And so the tolerances of, if you just take a disc brake wheel, you're most likely going to have to readjust your caliper. So in bike races now, you don't see wheel changes like you used to see. You see bike changes now. So I'm going to, you know, this is going to evolve into a hot take. I'm not sure that there's a point for a motorcycle to be carrying around spare wheels because here's the reality. We don't know if Sam Long was using a 160 front rotor, a 140 rear rotor. There's just uh, too many combinations to actually get him to go. Yeah, Mark. No, sorry. Uh, Pat, Pat Saudi is great for me, Carl, so let's not worry about that. Mate, I, I actually disagree. And I, 
only because I, I sat with Texas. So actually, Carl and Talbot were with me and we saw the motor come past and they only had rim brakes on the back. I was, and I was seething with anger because I had literally went up to them at the start in the, in, after the race brief. If you're not the athlete, never talk in the race brief. But I went up to them and I said to the referee and the guy organizing the motors, like, who, like, what wheels are you taking? They're like, oh, there'll be loads. I said, like, what, what are you taking? They said, oh, this. And he took me down and it was all rim brake. I was like, no, you need disc brake wheels. And my take is, Pat, that Shimano cassettes will run on SRAM. So you run 12-speed cassettes pretty much on Shimano cassettes across the board. Most people are on 12-speed now. If they're not, you can sort of have jumpy gears and it'll be okay. Like You'll get find a gear that works. And I don't know why they don't just put 140 rotors on front and back because you're going to have your 160 rotor working on the other, the other brake, fine. And a 140 rotor on a 160 caliper does break a bit. We know it does clamp a little bit. And yes, you might get some rub. I agree, Pat. It's not perfect often. But if you have a good wheel on the back that's got a 140 rotor, a 12-speed cassette, it works. Like, I understand world tour racing, why you wouldn't like, do a wheel change, you do a bike change. But it's just lazy. And people tell them this. I literally told them this, like, two days before the event, and they didn't fucking bother. And we just watched it go around. And now what's happened, Sam Loder's out. I will say, why is Sam Loder not carrying his own tube? Like, it's a few grams. Just stick a tube under your saddle. Sam Long or Sam Laidlow? Sam Long, sorry. Sam Long. I, I, I believe he was, but he knew that guy could change it faster, and the guy had a tube ready when he pulled over at all that. Cool. So, so if he was solo, he would have changed it himself. And, and, um, and I apologize. You know, I spoke to Sam about doing this race, but was there, I mean, was his Ironman niece, it wasn't contingent on a result here, was it? Yes, he, just, he, he needed the result here. Sam Long does. So now yes. he's going to have to go rake, race Lake Placid. That is true. Sam does not have his knee slot. Um, huh? Sam Long does not have his knee slot. So he said is on the, said on the live broadcast that he had qualified. Well, unless Sam doesn't know what he's talking about, and he told me today and confirmed with me that he doesn't have his knee slot. Um, he doesn't. But uh, Blake Placid and Switzerland are the last two races that uh, Alistair Brownlee and Sam Long can get their knee slots. But Sam's going to have a big uh, postseason or end of the season with, with a new little little one coming and stuff. So it will be uh exactly does it mark you might know does is there wheel pits at the pto races uh sam long doesn't have a kq um yeah there are there are then there are often wheel pits but i'm not sure they've been used they were used in like daytona and whatnot um i'm not sure to be honest yeah yeah so uh to the women's race uh, Haley Chura basically dominated the entire bike the entire day. Uh, she's uh, leading the race now, but Jody Robertson is running her down and will more than likely catch and pass her. Jody's but having I, a fantastic uh, let's race. Let's be honest, though. I don't, I, this will be controversial. She lost 40 minutes or something to the men on the bike. She lost more time on the bike to the men owner 70.3 than Daniela lost over a full distance. The standard of the women's race is extremely low there, I'm afraid. It is. It is. So it can is. we move on? All right. Races coming up this weekend. 17.3 Andorra. You have Jan Ferdino. I mean, I don't know if Cam Worf's going to do this race, but he's on the start list. And every time we don't, anytime we say that he's on the start list, sometimes he surprises everyone and shows up. So all four of those yeah. people are there, right? All four. Cam Worf, Amberger, Carl Smith. They're all actually in Andorra. That's where yeah. they live. Yeah. So Cam Worf, Josh Amberger, and Kyle Smith, all four men. And then on the women's side, you have Ash Gentle going up against Emma Pallant-Brown. How do we see that? 
a good race, potentially. Potentially a really good race. But Papa Jan takes it. And I think you were talking about Ashley Gentle or Emma Pallant. I think I think I think Jan beats those two for sure. Yeah. Um I oh, fuck it, I'll back Emma Pallant. Whoa. I mean Ash, Ash hasn't proved that she's good at seventy point three. And Emma's yeah. proved many times that she's very, very good at it. Yeah. Quick note on uh Kyle Smith. If he did race in Montreal this last weekend and did not make the front pack, which I thought was quite interesting, it does not help his argument or debate to be a domestique for Hayden Wild at the uh, Olympic Olympics if they were to select him, which I just thought it was pretty shocking that he didn't make the front pack. But this is just one race, so I'm sure he's going to race many more. But it was an interesting note. Any other races this weekend? Les Sables? How do you say that? Lasab, seventy point three Lasab. Um, just Pierre Lacour on the men's side. There's a bunch of men racing, but no big names besides Pierre Lacour, who's basically won every seventeen point three he's entered over the last two years. The women's side, you have Alexia Bailey and Emily Morier, and then uh, challenge Kaiser Winkle in Austria. Tom Hug, Nick Heldorn, Tom Bishop, Fred Funk. Jan Stratman, Nick Mann on the men's side. And then on the women's side, you have Grace Steck, Els Visser, Lucy Buckingham, Lucy Byram, and Imogen Simmons. Quite a strong field. Yeah, that, I mean, that's definitely the most exciting race of the weekend, like if, if we're being honest. Uh, Chelsea, I was doing some research on uh, short course racing, and it seems that we have a new uh, a premium cup. Can you give me an example of what's the difference between a Premium Cup, a World Cup, a Conti Cup? What all those are? Yeah, a Premium Cup. It's not new. They've had those all along. But it's a Conti Cup with more money, essentially. I think it's the same points. I think the only thing you get more points for in Continental Cups is Continental Champs races. So... We have our C races, Conti Cups, our B race, World Cups, like Watoko in New Plymouth, which we've seen, and our A races are Montreal. Next one up is Hamburg, Sunderland, etc. That'll be good. And then before we move on to hot takes, I want to remind everyone that today's episode was brought to you by Magic 5. They're the greatest goggle company that you will ever have. They're easy three-step face scan process with optimal fitting technology will have you never worrying about goggle leakage again. They also have up to seven different lens types with good for both indoors and outdoors, not to mention that they're the only company, goggle company, that's been on Shark Tank. Have you guys watched the Shark Tank episode with Magic 5? I actually did when you said it the first time on here. They were quite good as well. The, I mean, it's the best. Yeah, I, I would have to agree. That, I mean, we only takes. We only take sponsors that we actually like as brands. I don't think people know this. If you're a big triathlon podcast, there are more sponsors than there are podcasts worth sponsoring, which is a weird environment to be in, which is so nice, though, because we actually get to be selective. Like, you'll never hear us doing a tri-taran where we're, like, being sponsored by fucking char mushrooms or some nonsense. Like, we, we literally only take stuff that we actually like and believe in. So it's cool to be able to do these ad reels that we all do ad-lib because we all like the products. Not only that, they're in the process of developing a VR headset for Talbot so he can play Pop 1. Mm, they've That's got true. into the, the world of developing armrests for a rather large company, but I'm sure we'll get to that at some point. 
So be sure to check out Magic 5. We have the link in our bio. Buy yourself some goggles. Uh, again, that those goggles do not come with a discount code, just like every other discount code you get with triathlon. You get enough discount codes. What this money does is it goes back directly to our podcast to be able to help us pay to give you better content, go to more races, and make better graphics. So there you have it. Hot takes. Should I think we talked about this last year, but I kind of want to bring it up after what happened at Challenge Roth this weekend. They did not adhere to the World Athletic shoe rules, but they did tell everyone you're not allowed to put camelbacks down the front of your kit to improve aerodynamic advantages. So let's go back to this. Does triathlon need to adhere to UCI, World Triathlon, and FINA swim rules? Well, no. They just need to adhere to one set of rules. And we have a set of rules, like World Triathlon have a set of rules. And some companies, why don't all they all just adhere to it? Like banning the camelbacks down the front is weird. It's, I don't know, it's not a safety thing. Is it aesthetic? Do they want people to look better? Like people, a lot of people actually use that bladder as well. Like the people that are carrying three liters of water aren't doing that for an aero advantage. Like it does give an aero advantage. It's a good way of carrying your bottles, but it's no different to using an aero bottle of rice as a round bottle. It's just clever. So I don't know why you would ban that, other than the fact that you allow a 50 meter shoe, 50 mil shoe that a German athlete that you love as a brand uses and Adidas headquarters 15K down the road from it. And you ban stuff that makes the really fast riders faster, the exact people that will beat the German athlete with the fast shoes. Conspiracy theory, I'm not normally the tinfoil hatter on this, but that did seem a bit odd to me. Mark, I think you nailed it. I, I, you know, Kyle, we've been down this road before with uh, the UCI rules and the time trial. I, I love that the long course triathlon is exploratory and pushing the boundaries of, of what's capable on the bike. And, and that's ultimately why we're seeing these insanely fast times. And so, and, and you're seeing, you're seeing the, what's happening in triathlon and you're seeing, I would say the, the rules then brought to the UCI and, and the road teams getting as close to it as possible. So I think for once you're seeing the road teams look at what's happening in triathlon and then trying to get as, get as close to as they can with that while respecting the rules. So I don't know. I think it'd be lost on triathlon if we tried to adopt the UCI cycling rules. And it's not something that I'm a massive fan of at this point. Great. Talbot, you have an opinion? Uh, I just, my entrepreneur side was kicking in. You know, I just thought about, you know those, uh, you know those safety belts you wear when you're swimming, or fishermen wear them, and they have the little handle on it. You could pull it, and that there's a CO2 thing in there, and it inflates. You, if one of those companies made just an inflatable thing that you could put inside your suit, you swim with it, then the second you come out, you pull it, and it goes, and then it just blows up. Then the athletes can look like they're idiot selves and ride 10, 20k a mile an hour faster. Then at the end, they just pull right out the bottom of their suit. They don't let us sit in transition for like 30 minutes. It's it's a good idea. Like, and I I was trying to convince Kat to wear like this, um, like honeycomb foam core, that sort of shape, like a concave shape. Mm -hmm. And the argument would be that it improves airflow. Like if you can wear a stupid band on your head that really doesn't do very much, but anyway, they look cool. Um, Then why can't you do that? And you claim it's for airflow, but obviously it's aerodynamics. I mean, clearly she told me to shut up. She's not doing it. But uh, yeah, it's a good idea. A little inflatable thing. It, the, the problem is that would be outright fairing. 
And you can't yeah. really deny that it's just just fucking yeah. fair, right? And then also back to the rules. I could be wrong on this. Mark might know. I believe Patrick Longo ran the fastest ever marathon in history today in the triathlon. Uh, I think so. Yeah. Is that is You're that true? Two thirty. Yeah, two thirty or two thirty-two. Two thirty. He ran two thirty twenty-eight. Oh my gosh! So and that was with in Ironman standards illegal shoes that are 100%. not on. Um, but for multiple reasons, they were they're illegal because they are beyond fifty mil of foam stack and they have two carbon plates in. What yeah. I don't get is why is Adidas making those shoes? And they like, that was the big announcement was they're available to the public. And I'm like, what is the public going to do with these shoes? They can't use mate, them in any races. I'm getting them for the local park run. More, more walking. I'm going to bang out some solid, solid 22-minute 5K park runs in those bad boys. Oh, my God. <laughs> um, the sprint race this weekend at Montreal was more exciting than the Olympic distance races that we've seen so far. True or false? Mm, I would disagree. Nah. The women's was yes, men's no. Yeah, Cagliari was more exciting with Hayden Yee and Alex Wild. Alex Wild and Hayden Yee. <laughs> Could you imagine? <laughs> Are you going to make a graphic of that? Make a graphic? No, of that? I'm not. Uh, that's just my opinion. But there's another hot take on here, but it's not mine. So, oh, I wrote it down. I wrote uh, drug testing. This will be interesting next year, especially while we move into next year. This is a conversation that we kind of put two and two together on um, looking at all the drug testing via uh, drug testing rules and regulations and all that. So Ironman has their whereabouts program and they test athletes that are on their program. And I, I was looking at Freddie Funk's racing this upcoming weekend and it, it made me start thinking about Freddie Funk. Freddie hasn't done a single Ironman event this year. And I believe that the only one he'll do is Ironman 70.3 Worlds. So why would Ironman keep someone like Freddie Funk on a whereabouts drug testing protocol and waste their money all year when all he's doing is challenge races and PTO races? So... It's just, I mean, it doesn't really need an answer, but it will be interesting. And the reason why I bring it up now is because next year, the PTO has yet to incorporate any type of whereabouts or drug testing program. And next year, they will have five races with a million dollars at each race. And I don't see these athletes. Why would you go waste your time at all these Ironman races? So we're going to be seeing. When you can just dope. And when you could just dope. Five races. And they do, but they do a, a the blood leech, the blood dry blood spot test at the races, race week. But why would these if these athletes are going to race Ironman race anymore? I mean, Ironman, the logical thing to do is like, why would we drug test Freddie Funk? I mean, I'm not sure if they are or not. I, we would have to reach out to Freddie Funk, but why would you drug test Freddie Funk if he's not doing Ironman races? Can we just be very clear? We definitely don't think Freddie Funk's a doper. Yeah, no, not no, at <laughs> I, I use him as he an example had, yeah. because I don't yeah, yeah, think yeah. He, that he is. And he's and he's one who just does challenge races because it, it suits his schedule more. So it it will be a very interesting debate next year. And and Ironman not Iron Ironman has released their blood doping protocol or not blood doping, but doping protocol. But PTO has yet to do that. And as of right now in our sport, Colin Chartier is the only dirty athlete. Which he's obviously had. not, but we're just Which he's not, him. but I'm making an example because that has set, sailed and no one talks about it anymore. It's crazy. 
Here today, gone tomorrow. Everyone else is clean. So I um, a different on a different note. I saw on Instagram that just fascinated me. Someone sent me a screenshot of it because um, actually I'm blocked from the account. As it turns out, I didn't know until I went to look for myself. But fine, <laughs> a age group athlete with a couple of thousand followers. He's got a YouTube channel. It gets like 500 views. Posted a screenshot of where he'd messaged the company, asking them to send them him product, pay him for the product that he so he could review it on their on his channel and they said we can't pay you but we'll send you the product for free and he replied to them saying uh free product doesn't pay my bills and then he posted this publicly and was like crying out for support and outrage that companies wouldn't give him cash to review their products on a channel with 500 bucks are we joking pat like what world are we living in as somebody, so let's. There's a there's a lot that we could really peel into here, and and I'm gonna I'm gonna boil it down to a, one thing, and that's to have a little class, right? Um, in my job, I do this every single day. I reach out to brands on behalf of athletes, and I get told no all the time. And people will say to me, "How could they say no to you? I don't understand. They're a huge company." I said, "It's not about." I said, it's just about a moment in time and taking a yes or a no and understanding with it and moving on. But the rule number one is you always want to keep the door open for future interactions. And so if you, you know, if you get it, if you're reaching out to brands and you don't get an answer that you like, just have a little common sense and say, you know, hey, thank you very much. Or if a brand comes to you and says, hey, we'd like you to do this for zero money or it's not quite, you're, you're not aligned on the budget for it. Just say, hey you know, look, I'm just going to be really honest with you. We're, we're just not aligned on, on budget here. So I hope we can work together in the future. It's just not that hard to be a decent human and have a little class, um, to post up stuff like this on social media is, uh, is a complete joke. And if I was another brand, I would, I would never do business with this person. So, uh, I guess what goes around comes around and, and my lesson to everyone is just, yeah, always make sure you keep a door open. I want to say something about this. Back in the day when we were a little baby-sized podcast, I reached out to Manscaped. Guess what? They said, ah, no, we're good. Thanks. And then guess what? I left the door open. They came back. Same thing happened with Magic 5. When we were a little baby type-sized podcast, we didn't get what they wanted. It's all about give and take. Well, I'm going to Cabo St. Lucas this weekend. Uh, I'd be lying if I didn't say that I didn't reach out to the Four Seasons in Cabo. I never heard back. I'm a little bitter about it, but I don't think I'm going to post it on my Instagram. <laughs> I was telling them I'd trade them a few nights in a hotel room for a couple pictures, but... Get, then they looked at your pictures on Instagram and passed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're like, that, oh, the way. That, that video you did of how to AI an image, I love that bit of content. That was super Dude, good content. That is... that is Yeah, that, that, that stuff's crazy. Speaking of sponsors, though, brand new athlete this weekend... Didn't even I? I never saw the announcement. He must have a terrible manager or something. Announced another feed sponsorship, Magnus Ditlev. The funniest thing about it is, guys on the podium with the biggest performance of his life wearing a feed hat, and Pat didn't even tell him to take the stickers off the hat before the race. Like the original branding stickers of the hat are still on there, and I'm like, oh, Pat. Pat, sorry, Talbot. Do you know the difference between a soft opening and a grand opening? <laughs> No. 
This weekend was the soft opening. Okay. So, so sorry, okay. your your idea of a soft opening is an athlete wearing a helmet in their colours, covered in it, riding the fastest Ironman performance in history on one of the biggest televised races of the year. I can't wait to see the fucking grand opening, mate. <laughs> oh, if that hasn't got the Kardashians hey, and Beyonce there, it's going to be hey, shit. Hey. This is called creating value for brands. And so, you know, when you, there was a very short timeline to get this done. And uh, yeah, um, like I said, you watch Oceans 13 and you'll learn the difference between a soft opening and a grand opening. I've seen the photo of that. Uh, you've just sent me it. I think that you leave those stickers on. It's the same as buying those trucker caps and you leave the, I've seen 50 cent. I'm, he leaves yeah. this sticker on. <laughs> <laughs> I did I did do that in high school, but I mean, I guess you could do it now, too. I mean, why not rep Richardson? Richardson, the standard hat brand that everyone uses. Good why not? Why not? Uh, with that being said, I think that's everything. But uh, Matthew Marquardt's lead is down, or the lead is, uh, deficit is down to 230. So he is hunting Chris Leiperman down. We hope you enjoyed the show this week. Please share it. And we will be back next week with probably a little bit softer of an episode. Uh, Not as much racing going on, but what an incredible weekend of triathlon. See you soon.